Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we tackle the fourth consecutive week of spring games across the country, and we have Nate Marquise back on to help dive into them. In addition, we have a trio of wide receivers entering and exiting the transfer portal we needed to discuss. All this and more coming right after this. Looking to Jarrett Stearns, who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson! As advertised, touchdown, Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in, everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful Monday morning as you're riding into work. I personally have a ton of work to get done this week because I'm hitting the end of my graduate school semester, so all the projects and stuff like that are all due within a uh, one-week span, so that's just tons of fun for me. Uh, but again, uh, again, hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Uh, welcome back to Chasing the Natty. And today we have on a, a guest that we've had on here plenty of times, uh, probably one of the smartest people in the CFF space. And he's here to help us go through some of these spring games we saw yesterday. Please welcome back on Mr. Nate Marquise. Nate, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. Excited to be back on with you, discussing some of the uh, the transfers and, and what we saw out of the spring game this past weekend. So yeah, it should be uh, should be lots of fun. We got a lot of big time, you know, fantasy producing programs that kicked off this weekend. Oh yeah, like uh, I I, w- I was having a hard time just keeping up with it all yesterday because I thought last week uh, for the Easter weekend was a ton of uh, different uh, schools going on and everything like that. But then like just going back through all the games yesterday, I felt like I was it, every time I thought I had hit them all, I looked back on the schedule. I'm like, oh shoot, I still haven't even looked at this school or that school. So. Yeah, I, uh, it, it was. It felt like um, like a Saturday in fall. I was it I was bouncing around from game to game, and and by the time like five o'clock had rolled around, I was like, God, I haven't done anything productive today. I just watched football all day long. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I miss those Saturdays. Uh, yeah, no, when, when it comes to the fall and everything, it's like I I just take out Saturdays as my day of productivity. Obviously, outside of just watching football and stuff like that, because like. You know, there's nothing else to do on Saturday, and then I do all my work on Sunday. It's great. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, but but like we've been kind of touching on here, we got a lot to get to today. We're going to hit 10 different spring games and what we thought were the biggest takeaways from each of those. And I'll be real. I don't know about you, Nate, but like we basically we came down to like like you chose five you want to talk about. I chose five that I wanted wanted to talk about. I had a hard time just kind of narrowing down which ones we would talk about because like it again, like we said, there's so much is going on yesterday so i can already tell that there's going to be people who are like why did you talk about this game why did you talk about that game and i'm like guys so much going on yesterday it was hard to keep up with it all so we're gonna we're gonna bring you what you we think are the most important ones to go through before we get started on that i'll go ahead and give you my spiel like i do most every week Uh, again i forget every once in a while but again you're listening to this on podcast make sure you're following us there and leave any five-star reviews if the platform that you are on allows for that kind of thing you're watching on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button. Make sure you comment right down there below. I love talking to you guys down there if you ever leave something down there. In addition, um, 
No, yeah, I, I hit both podcasts and, and YouTube. Wow, I went out of order there. I think that's what messed me up there. Uh, but even still, uh, Nate and I are a part of the Campus to Canton family. Uh, we are part of the CFF team along with Brandon Sanders and Chris Moxley. We, we post podcasts, articles, rankings, CFF, ADP, and even more than that to come. Got some incredible things we've been working on behind the scenes that you guys are going to absolutely love that we, hopefully we can get to you guys by the fall. We will have the CFF um guide for you guys coming in during the summer so be on the lookout for that and then in addition make sure you check out all the other podcasts going on with campus kitten on mondays you have us chasing daddy um and myself and whoever i bring on that week on tuesdays you got campus life with austin nason colin decker on the podcast side of things wednesday you have debbie debate live streamed on youtube with felix sharp matt bruning austin nace and chris moxley Thursdays, you have Canton Bound with Austin Nace and Colin Decker. That is the NFL side of the college or the uh, Campus of Canton flagship podcast. In addition, check out the official with Alfred Fernandez, Matt Powell, and David Nipple on YouTube. That is a recruiting analytics show. So if you're one of these people that wants to play in a, like, I don't know, what do they call it? The Crable, the Canton Leagues, where, like, you're drafting players out of high school before they've even hit college. That's a thing, by the way. I, that, that is a thing I've seen people talk about. So if you're one of those people, the official is probably the place to go for that, just to get names out of the recruiting analytics. And then finally, on Fridays, you have the Future Freshman Podcast with Brandon Sanders on podcasts and YouTube. If you're somebody who plays in a CFF Dynasty or if you're playing in a Campus Cant League and you're just wanting to really dive into some of these freshmen and maybe see who can pop off early, absolutely the place to go. And then in addition to that, we have some daily shows going on. The Daily Draft Report with Dwight Peoples has been going on and it will continue until the day of the draft. They've been going over a different draft prospect every single day. Absolutely check it out. Very easy to catch up on. And then the Spring Reports with Matthew Bruning. He's been doing a fantastic job and has been a must-listen for me every single day that he's put one of those out because I it's a great way for me to double check to make sure that I've hit everything I've needed to hit. So with that being said, we're about to hit the spring games, but first we will discuss some of these transfers. Um, I have had one or two of you DM me asking me to discuss a few more of the transfers than I have been. Um, if you don't see somebody that you think was important uh, that we don't discuss today, be on the lookout for my transfer portal re report. If you're listening to this on Monday, the report should be out unless some, some news breaks here in the next couple of hours, in which case it might be delayed by just a day, but we will definitely see. But let's go ahead and get over into that. And Nate, let's start with this first one here. And this is, again, for some people, this might be a little bit of old news and everything, but after I recorded last week's episode, um, it was pretty much right after that that this announcement was made. But we have a Jai Hall transferring from Alabama to the Texas Longhorns, Lawhorns, good Lord. I think that's the side of my family. Um, and so, Nate, I'm going to ask you first, what are your overall thoughts on Ajay Hall, and what do you think of his landing spot here at Texas? Well, I think it's interesting how it, it seems that Texas has become the, the landing spot for a number of uh, guys at Alabama that it just didn't just didn't work out for him with Nick Saban. So obviously there's a connection there. A number of uh, staff members or uh, former Alabama staff members are there at Texas now. So not a huge surprise. He was one that we, we had discussed in the Slack that, you know, Texas was pretty interested mm -hmm. um, in seeing him. I, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good fit. I, I don't know that I'm expecting much for him this year. Um, 
you know, I think probably wide receiver four is maybe his ceiling of what we're looking at. Um, we'll talk more about some Texas, some things we saw from Texas in the spring game, but I thought it, Isaiah Nayor was, was really impressive. So I, I, I don't know. I thought at first maybe Hall was going to impact um, Nayor some, but I, I don't know that that's the case. I think he's, he's really good. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're looking at. Maybe wide receiver four. I, I know that uh, Brennan Marion's a heck of a wide receiver coach, so I think he's the type of guy that could develop Hall. And, uh, you know, he's, he's uber talented. We'll, we'll see if, if he's able to translate that to the field, though. Yeah, that's the part that kind of stuck out to me. And, like, you immediately said it there, that this feels like wide receiver four for this year, unless he wants to move inside to the slot and maybe try to fight Whittington for some starting time. But even Whittington's had a great spring, so I don't even know if he could do that. But his whole thing last year at Alabama was that he was very upset about the fact that he wasn't getting out there on the field. Are we going to see that again at Texas if he is the clear wide receiver four and he's just not out there? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's hard to say. It's hard to get inside the mind of, of uh, an 18 year old that has, you know, it appears has had some some stuff going on where or he's been unhappy with the number of places that he's landed at over the course of his football career. But yeah, I mean, I just it's it's a like, what are you going to do? You, you can't take Xavier Worthy off the field. Nair looks great. Um, you're, you're right. I mean, the probably the weakest of the three is Whittington in the slot. Um, you know, I mean, it's just there's not enough. There's only one football to go around. Um, and there's some really, really dynamic uh, playmakers on the Texas, um, you know, offense. So oh, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's going to be tough to see him getting more than, you know, that 30 to 40 touch range. So again, redraft, I think we're both on the same page where it's like, don't worry about grabbing a Jai Hall. It, the only way he's going to be out there is if Worthy or Neor gets injured, that he probably slides into wherever uh, they are, because he could probably play outside either side. The thing I'll kind of switch to here is if you own a Jai Hall on like a dynasty roster, Nate, is this somebody that you're willing to hold on to in case like maybe next year he does put things together and then becomes a starter next year after maybe, well, Worthy wouldn't be gone, but Nayor probably would be gone, I would imagine. Uh, yep. So maybe after Nayor is gone, do you think you would hold on to him to see if Ajay Hall could slide into a starting spot there? Or are you kind of maybe looking to trade him away here in the hopes that somebody else is a bigger believer in him than you are? Yeah, I don't think wherever you felt like he was going to be as far as value wise when he was at Alabama, I don't think that's really changed much. It's kind of a similar situation where he's probably I mean, he's 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 basically just an outside wide receiver and he looks to be the third guy, not the second or the first guy. So that doesn't change much for this year. As far as dynasty value, like I said, I think being with Marion um, is a good fit for him. Um, and I just. I think there's hope here. I think there's hope. Yes. I do think I do think Nair is looking to build some draft stock and then move on after this year. So I think there's hope that he could slide in next year and be a you know a, a much higher volume guy next year. So there's hope. Yeah, I would say there's hope, but I would also say there's risk because there sure. is there's definitely a world where again Hall is still very unhappy about not being able to get onto the field. And let's be real, if he does pull shenanigans again. I don't think he'll get another chance after this one, in which case he just has zero value um, maybe by the end of the season if he continues to pull his shenanigans. But again, high risk, high reward. Because uh, again, if he does get on the field, he's he's shown his flashes. 
very much an incredibly talented guy. Um, so, yeah. So, again, Hall transferring away from Bama. We'll talk about another wide receiver that is now transferring to Alabama, and that is Mr. Tyler Harrell out of Louisville. Last year, he had 18 receptions for 523 yards and six touchdowns, which is that's just an insane like yards per catch. Um, if I could do the math here real quick. I think that's well over that's well that might be over 25 yards per catch let's see what? 29 yards per catch last year uh with harold and it makes sense why dude's an absolute burner uh i believe we've gar- we've confirmed at this point that he has 4-2 speed one of the fastest players in college football that we know of and well why not go to a place like alabama that has absolutely thrived on the speediest of wide receivers. Just look at their recent history. Look at Henry Ruggs. Look at Jalen Waddle. Look at Devontae Smith. Look at Jamison Williams. All these guys have absolutely thrived. So, Nate, what are you thinking here with Tyler Harrell? Do we think he is one of those next guys up at Alabama, or do we think maybe this is a bit more of a debt piece? What are you kind of thinking? Um, I, I think that they're... I think this is stock up for him a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, he probably could have been one of the guys there at Louisville, but I mean, he was he was a little bit limited in, in what that offense could provide from a passing perspective. With Alabama, the, the fact that he's missed spring is a little bit concerning. Uh, he hasn't been able to, to, to make his way through the spring, but um, we saw what happened when um, Jamison Williams came over from Ohio state last year in a short amount of time with some summer summertime and then fall camp. I mean, he was able to work his way up the depth chart pretty quick. Now, I, I mean, he obviously fits the mold exactly of what, of what Saban's looking for. Saban wants speed. He wants to spread teams out and he, he just wants to have as, as much speed as he can put on the field. So that part is interesting. Um, I just don't know. Yeah, he's he's a four-two guy. How good of a wide receiver is he really, though? Yeah. Um, so that that'll be the the interesting part. Um, but I think I think there's some potential here. Uh, you know, just because we're we're all wondering, okay, what's that wide receiver situation going to look like outside of Burton? So uh, clearly, Nick Saban felt like he could use some more firepower. So I, I think it's I think it's an interesting move here that. Um, whereas I wasn't looking to draft him at all, he's at least on my radar and, uh, you know, I, he's somebody I could take a shot on late and, and, and just kind of see what comes with it. You mentioned the fact that Harold has missed the spring, but like, there's another wide receiver that we've all been talking about with Bama that has missed the spring and that's Shakori Brooks. Uh, he's been rehabbing his injury. Um, so maybe that's part of this is that again, Saban saw what it looked like when, you lose your top two receivers and you have to rely almost completely on young unproven talent in the um, biggest of stages. Again, when he had, like when you lose a guy like Jamison Williams, when you lose Sean Mechie, and then all of a sudden you're relying on guys like a Jai Hall, Treshawn Holden and guys like that. All of a sudden you're, you realize how much of a drop off there is maybe there on your team. And so maybe he's just kind of trying to stock up this wide receiver room. And you kind of mentioned it. Saban clearly felt like he needed more firepower here. Alabama, let's be real, it, it can afford to be the most exclusive from who they take in the transfer portal. Like they like they're not a team like they're not a team that's desperate for any kind of talent. So if they take somebody in, it clearly means that they feel like that they are at least starting caliber, if not pos- if if not, I don't want to say guaranteed starters, but like they have a very good shot 
at having a role immediately immediately with Alabama. I don't think Alabama's in the... Um, I don't think they're really looking for any projects out of the transfer portal because they have that already with the guys that they recruit. If they want a, if they want a project, the guy they can work on, they just go to the several four or five-star receivers that they got as a true freshman. So I, I agree 100%. Yeah, they got four and five-star depth. So... Yeah, if they're if they're plucking somebody from the portal, it it's it seems intentional and it seems like it's it's because they've got something in mind for them. So yeah, totally agree with that. And not to get too too deep into this again, because I've I've been blasted by Bama Twitter on uh today for this. But um again, it seemed very early on that as soon as Harold entered the portal, the plan was always that he was gonna uh go to Bama, which kind of indicates to me that Bama might have directly recruited him um, in order to come to Bama very early on. So again, that's just another sign to me that Bama clearly has a role that they want him to play and they want him on campus to see that if he can fill that role. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and hit up this last wide receiver here. This one to me was kind of the uh, definitely the most, well, I think it's the most interesting one because there's still a possibility of different places that he could land. But you got Jalen Robinson Wide receiver out of UCF. Last year, he had only 18 receptions for 322 yards and two touchdowns. But the year before that, during the 2020 season, Jalen Robinson was the wide receiver two behind Marlon uh, Williams. And during the Josh, uh, the last year, the Josh Heupel offense was there. I believe he had like a little over 50 receptions. I forgot to write that number down, but he was like just under a thousand yards. Absolutely an explosive playmaker. I think he had around six touchdowns. Very much looked to be the next wide receiver one for the UCF offense. But during that offseason, you see Josh Heupel go off to Tennessee, gets replaced by Gus Malzahn. Very different offensive system there. And then Robinson also just gets hurt throughout the season. Uh, um, had a very explosive start. I, I believe his first game, he uh, went about 140 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but then after that, gets hurt. Uh, just been on and off the field the rest of the way. And it looks like Robinson's just kind of had enough of the Malzahn offense, looking just for another fresh start here. And so there's a couple of interesting spots I think he could kind of go. Uh, the, the first one that comes to mind for a lot of people is, well, he could go to Tennessee because Tennessee clearly has been looking for wide receivers out of the portal. We saw them try to land I Isaiah Nayor. Uh, Brew McCoy apparently is registered to attend Tennessee. I don't. We don't know if that's going to be something where he's going to be a part of the team or if he's just giving up on football altogether. But even so, they clearly seem to be looking for wide receivers out of the portal. So why not grab Jalen Robinson, who is so effective under Hypel's system at UCF? The other place that people kind of point out, why not go back to Oklahoma? He was an Oklahoma recruit out of high school, transferred out after a year, but why not go back? Rejoin your quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. Rejoin your old offensive coordinator in Jeff Levy. See if the, that system can work out just a little bit better for you there. And then finally, we did see this past weekend, he did take a visit to Ole Miss. And if you watch the Ole Miss, we'll, we'll touch on the Ole Miss spring game. If you watched, um, Jonathan Mingo is still hurt. And outside of maybe Jordan Watkins, there isn't really another clear guy that steps up next in that wide receiver room. So why not take a shot on Jalen Robinson? So Nate, what do you think about those three landing spots? And is there any other schools that you kind of heard in the ether that maybe would be kind of interesting to you? Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had 
almost a thousand yards. I think he had like 980 yards um, in 2020, which was a shortened season. Um, so he was super productive. And like you mentioned, he was banged up all last year. So that's the reason why he wasn't able to produce to the same level. Um, Tennessee would be really interesting. Obviously the connection there with, with Heupel, as you mentioned, um, that would be a, a big time stock down for Jalen Hyatt, who's, who's playing the slot there and, and would, you know, it's just, I, I can't imagine both he and Robinson could coexist. And if they wouldn't grab Robinson, that would almost feel like kind of a, a direct shot at what they've currently got at the slot position. So, mm-hmm. but super fun offense, um, a, a high end quarterback. Um, so that, that would be a really fun landing spot for him. Um, Oklahoma, I, I don't, I, I don't think is going to happen. Um, there, there hasn't been any talk out of, out of Norman that, that they're considering him or that he is considering them. There is the levy connection. Um, Marvin Mims is playing the slot there. He's absolutely got that locked down. Uh, right. it, it, it would, it would probably be something where he would, he would end up actually seeing, you know, very limited snaps if he went to Oklahoma. Uh, who was, who was the other one you mentioned? Uh, Ole Miss. He took a visit to Ole, Ole Miss, Miss this yeah. past week. Yeah. Ole, Ole Miss. I think there's opportunity there. So that, that, that could be fun. Um, I haven't really heard of any other ones. He's from Texas. So I do think that, Schools like TCU, Texas Tech, I think that they can SMU be in the claims mix. another one. <laughs> SMU is is constantly on the prowl uh, for wide receiver. Their 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 notifications went off every time a uh, wide receiver hits the portal. So oh, yeah, uh, but no, I do think a, a program like TCU or Texas Tech um, could be an interesting fit for him, and 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 a program that uh, two programs that are being active in the portal right now. So something like that could be interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's not really much else to say again until we get a landing spot for Jalen Robinson. But like, really, any of those three schools—I mean, Tennessee, Oklahoma, or Ole Miss—would be stock up for me, in my opinion. Uh, again, you don't think he's going to land at Oklahoma? That I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you present a good argument there, but like, either Tennessee or Ole Miss, like, I would, I would probably be like at UCF again. Like, he di- just didn't seem to click in the Gus Malzahn offense. Like he was under Heupel. If he, I believe, um, I w- again, I wish I wrote this number down, but like he went from like averaging over 20 yards a catch under a Heupel system to like, I think under 15 in Malzahn's system. Like it was something crazy like that. Uh, Malzahn's not, it's, he doesn't have a friendly system for wide receivers. Exactly. So, uh, and, and Robinson's a guy that there were rumors all last year that he was going to hit the portal. I think he's kind of had one foot out the door ever since Malzahn got there. He saw. Yeah. Uh, he saw um, how it probably wasn't a great fit for him. So I would think within the next few days to a week, we hear something on where he's going. So I think if, if he's already taken a, a visit to Ole Miss, that's probably a pretty strong indicator that he had his he had his sights set on them. And obviously, <laughs> Lane Lane is no stranger to, to the portal. So I would love to see him at Ole Miss again. I've been waiting for Ole Miss to like pluck like that wide receiver I've been looking for them because like Jordan Watkins is great and like I have him on my dynasty roster so that like makes me happy and he looks like he's going to do well at Ole Miss but like Robinson is the kind of player that I've been looking for Ole Miss to kind of use to replace uh, Braylon Sanders and Dontario Drummond I think that would be an absolutely great fit for them all right so those are three wide receivers again if you're thinking of anybody um that we we should have talked about go check out my transfer portal report probably have them listed somewhere on there um, and if they're for some reason still not on there, DM me. I can probably uh, do a little bit of research and figure out what my overall thoughts on a certain player is. But let's go ahead and get into some of these spring games, Nate. 
Um, and we're going to start off with one of your schools that you kind of brought up here. You want to talk about the TCU spring game. So I have listed here as the big takeaway. Nothing decided at quarterback, which is very fun, I imagine, for our listeners. Uh, here are the big takeaways. The first one, uh, there is no takeaway at quarterback here for TCU. But Nate, what are, like, again, that in and of itself can be a big takeaway. So what are you thinking here? What, like, what did you learn from the TCU spring game? So they, they split up the squad and um, pretty much gave equal equal reps to both QBs, Morris and Duggan. Uh, and, and, and honestly, it was a pretty short spring game. We only saw a few series from each quarterback. Gun to my head, I, I would say actually Morris probably looked the best um, throwing the ball. And, and they're, Duggan's a little bit better runner, but they're, they're fairly even in that aspect. But Morris probably was the better passer. So, you know, I mean, maybe a slight edge to him, but it's it, like I said, it was such a small sample size that we got to see. And both of them looked OK at times. Both of them had some some mistakes at times as well, too. Um, Quentin Johnson looked great. Yeah. He's I think he's got a chance to be elite in this offense. Um, Darius Davis made it a really nice um, catch in the corner of the end zone from Morris. So that kind of got my attention a little bit. Um, as far as the running backs are concerned, we came away with Kendry, Kendry Miller as the, as the RB one, he, he was the one that got first touches and, and seemed to be running with a lot of the starters the most. Um, but like I said, it was kind of a split squad, so it's kind of hard to tell, but yeah. he, he seemed to, he seemed to get the most run. So, yeah, I don't know. There was a ton we could take away from this, but there, there, you know, there, there were some, I mean, it, it's got a chance to be a really nice offense if they can get decent quarterback play. Yeah, and so like I was listening to some of the um, the interviews that they had going on during that game, and we in the fantasy community have like had this fantasy haha, where one of the SMU quarterbacks, whether it be Stone or Mordecai, whichever one feels like they're losing the job at the end of spring, gets out gets out of Dallas and heads over to Fort Worth here at TCU, follows Sonny Dykes, and but when they asked Sonny Dykes during the game and everything about like what he thought about the court quarterback situation what about the possibility of a transfer he said that their starting quarterback is already on campus so he he is basically saying it will be either Max Duggan or Chandler Morris Nate do you buy that do you or do you think we're uh, just have some coach speak going on here what do you think I buy that for the most part um of course he's going to say that so that Duggan or, or really, I mean, Morris can't leave. He's already transferred once. He hasn't yeah. graduated yet. He can't really go anywhere, but it's basically so that Duggan doesn't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, and I think that the fact that right now TCU is unsettled, uh, not uh, SMU is unsettled at quarterback um, would lead me to believe that probably not going to see one of them transfer stone. There's 0% chance stone is going to TCU mm-hmm. zero, 0% chance. Now, Mordecai is the interesting one. I do yes. think there's a, I do think there's a legit chance there. Um, Cause he can graduate this year, right? He, so he's, he's taking classes to put himself in a position to graduate. It looks like he had wanted to leave that as a possibility. So he's, he looks like he's going to be able to don't quote me on that. I, I, I don't know the in, in, inner workings of all that, but it looks like Mordecai could transfer. Should he decide to step out of that competition? Well, if I remember correctly, like, again, we, we have May 1st kind of circled there as, like, the deadline that players have to enter the transfer portal in order to be immediately eligible. But does that still apply for graduate students? Because graduate students have always been able to enter the portal and then immediately play. 
So Every I wonder, conf- I wonder sorry. if that buys them a little bit of time, like after May. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've tried to read through some of the some of the details and, and all that transfer mess. Every conference actually has different rules. Okay. Um, the May first deadline is a deadline, but you can still apply for the waiver. And let's face it, it is. It's yeah, it's extremely rare that they don't give the waiver. Really, it's just basically saying, hey. Players, if you don't want to do a lot of paperwork, just do it by May 1st. You know, that's True. otherwise you got to do paperwork and then we'll grant you eventually. Hey, paperwork's a good, uh, good disincentive. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one here and let's go ahead and go over to Ole Miss, where my big takeaway here is everyone is triggered. Uh, you all can groan and you all can, uh, you all can sigh heavily at my bad pun game here, but let's be real. I like, love it. Everybody. I love it, man. Uh, I feel so vindicated with this. I have had Michael Trigg as my tight end for ever since he and Dart went over to Ole Miss. And I said, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Charlie Weiss, all of them have had a great success with a tight end over the past couple of years. And Michael Trigg is probably one of the most talented that they've ever had. In addition to the possibility of Dart being his quarterback and having the chemistry there, it was a match made in heaven. And we saw it on the field. Trigg went off seven catches for 89 yards and three touchdowns in addition to two two-point conversions. They are going to be targeting this man all day long in the red zone. I am so excited about what Michael Trigg is going to be able to get this year. And I'm going to be real. I don't know that there is a price high enough, um, at least anywhere past where like Michael Myers and Brock Bowers are going that I wouldn't be willing to pay up for him in a CFF draft. Because again, I, I have been very, very happy with Michael Trigg going into this year. I'm actively trying to get him in the Dynasty team that I don't have him on right now. So yeah, I'm very happy about it. I feel extremely vindicated. I am very excited about Michael Trigg. I do think he is now at least a top four. Like He is in the same tier to me as Zach Kuntz. Um, if you kind of already had that tier divide where Koontz was kind of like an island on his own between where Bowers and Michael Meyer were going and then everybody else. I think Michael Meyer has moved himself up there. I think this is going to absolutely smash come the season. The only t- the only kind of downside is that Dart looked awful. And so if, there's a, if he's only able to produce because Dart is throwing him the ball... That's obviously a big problem because it doesn't look like Dart is the starter as of today. Altmaier didn't look great, but he looked better. Um, but again, I'm 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 extremely happy with Trey. I I am super excited. Uh, other takeaways here: uh, Jordan Watkins uh, was kind of out there from what it looked like as the like almost did like a weird thing here where it's like they gave one side the running game effectively, like they gave him the starting O line, they gave him the starting running back. And they gave them uh, Luke Altmeyer, but then they kind of put like all the uh, starting receivers on the other team as like a way to balance it out because they had Jordan Watkins, they had Michael Trigg, and um, I'm trying to remember there's a, there was another name on there that kind of struck me as like okay that's another starting wide receiver why are they on the other team? Um, I've seen teams do that before like uh, Georgia did that uh, not this year but the year before where they kind of took. Um, they took the starting tight ends and put them on the backup team and everything to try to even things out because there were just so many receivers out. Uh, and Ole Miss was dealing with a ton of injuries at the receiver position. But even still, 
uh, oh, and uh, Ulysses Bentley. He uh, he looked great um, catching the ball out of the backfield. I absolutely think he's going to have a very big role to play in this offense this upcoming year. I don't think there's any chance that Zach Evans is getting this backfield all to himself with the way that Ulysses Bentley was playing. And also Quinshawn Judkins. He looked very great too, but that's more of a dynasty C2C stash than anything else. What were your takeaways from this game, Nate? Well, um, one of my main takeaways is that I look kind of like a kind of like a jackass when it comes to our um, uh, our ranking summit that we did. And here, here I was the one defending um, my poorly ranked uh, Michael Trigg um, tight end ranking. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I've only got to watch bits and pieces of this game, so I'm going by a lot of just what I saw in the in the stat line and uh, what other people are saying that how everybody looked and and obviously. Uh, Trigg was a monster. Um, pretty, pretty impressive that he could put up those numbers with such horrendous quarterback play. Oh, yeah. So uh, that means he was clearly, if if both quarterbacks were well below, you know, fifty percent passing percentage, he was clearly targeted often. So, Very. yeah, I mean, he, he's uh, here. We, we're as we as we speak now, we're in the middle of a of uh, best ball draft, and we're approaching round five. So I've got my eye on you to probably. Uh, lean towards picking him up in at least the next few rounds. So. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we don't have to worry about anybody uh, uh, snatching him before because um, this will, I'm sure, will be to that point by the time the, the recording is out. But um, yeah, I mean, I, the other takeaway I think for me is, is Ulysses Bentley. Yeah. It, I, I've, I've been kind of fading Zach Evans a little bit, just the rumors that he doesn't want a full workload. And now he's got a running back that he can share that workload with um, would worry me a little bit. I know he's super productive with limited carries, but I'm sorry. I like volume. I, I want a guy that gets mass volume. So it worries me whenever a guy doesn't. So yeah, that, that'd be my only takeaway. You say you're fading him. How how far down your rankings uh, do you have him? Do you have those pulled up right now? Yeah, I think I have him right around um, in my updated rankings, right around RB twenty. Let me see here. Oh, I have him down at thirty six. I want no part oh. of events. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I probably. No, I want no part. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not that low on him. See, now this is before the spring game, so seeing Bentley be able to perform at that level and and people say that he looked really good um, would probably cause me to bump him down a little bit further. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's, he's in that, uh, you know, I, I do not want him as my RB one and I'm probably would only take him if he's my RB three and that's just simply not going to happen in any draft I'm in. So yeah, I just, at this point, I know I'm not getting sure you can rank him at 20 or 36 either way. Neither one of us are getting him. Exactly. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this because again I'm crapping on Evans here. I'll put I'll, I'll build them up here a little bit. They took him out after three carries in this game, and you're seeing oh, coaches yeah, do this yeah. more and more now. Where if, they, if it's a player they're clearly going to rely on, especially in the running game, which is the most physical part of the game, they don't let them play a ton of snaps in the spring game because they just don't want to worry about them getting injured. Uh, yeah, you definitely yeah. got to put guys like out there like Judkins and Bentley who aren't quite as pivotal to your offense and you want to see them get a little, a few more reps than they have been getting in the spring. So that to me is also a sign that they clearly are going to use Evans quite a bit, but also Bentley looked really, really good. And I have to imagine he's earned a higher percentage of carries in the spring game and how spring has been going than we maybe initially thought he could go. Yeah, and don't forget, Bentley was in the portal for like seven minutes. <laughs> it's true. They they wanted they, they he knew they wanted him, and and 
they knew it was a fit. So oh, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a connection there. All right, let's move on from Ole Miss and let's go over to Lubbock, ten- Texas with the Texas Tech Raiders. I think that it, they're Lubbock, right? I, I'm yep. trying to keep track of all the te- Yeah. So going over to Lubbock, Texas Tech, every, every, the question everybody wants to know is, are we any closer to knowing who is quarterback one for this system? Nate, break it down for us. What did you get out of this game? Man, this was... I, I want to say, like, I had to explain to my wife. She's like, um, why are we watching college football at 1230 in the middle of the spring? And I was like, listen, I've been waiting for this spring game for a really long time. I need to know what's happening with this quarterback situation. So um, and then she was like, yeah, that, that's stupid. But um, <laughs> I I am. I don't know how much closer. So I think there were two main takeaways we saw from the quarterbacks here. Um, Shug got the first snaps and he got a lot of the snaps. Now, part of, part of the reason there, there was a difference in volume. I want to say he threw the ball around 30 times. um, And then the other two were probably somewhere around 12 to 15 passing attempts, something like that. Smith has Um, seven and Morton had 13. Some of that was just, some of that was just play calling and the fact that, um, Shug had a lot of underneath stuff that kind of dinked and dunked and, and led to there being more volume, whereas the other two were kind of heaving it deep a little bit more. So I think that was part of it. But I, I think it's important to know that Shug, Shook, sorry, Shuck, um, appears at this point to be the most likely QB1. And, I, and we've, we've talked about that, and I've been saying that on, on Twitter. He's the most likely starter there's a reason he came back and he fits the Kitley system the other thing that I took away is Baron Morton was the better player Baron Morton was the best quarterback that was on the field um yesterday in my opinion um Smith just looked a little bit out of sorts um I don't know that he's a great fit for the Kitley system I wish he would just kind of get it over with and and transfer on to Louisiana Tech with Sonny mm-hmm. Cumbie and and be the QB the automatic day one starter there because um, they have Matthew Downing right now. I think it, he's the one who got the start yesterday. And if you're relying on Matthew Downing, yeah. lo- love you, Matthew. You're a former Bulldog, but uh, yeah, no. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not very good at all. Um, but yeah, I just I think those are kind of the main the main takeaways. I think I think if if we if I had to bet on it today, Shook is the starter week one, and if something were to like if he were to not perform very well like i mean he did have two ints one of them was a pick six the other one the other one probably should have been a pick six mm-hmm. um but i think baron morton would be the one that comes off the bench and i i think he's got the highest ceiling in this system yeah when i was looking through this game and i was i watching the game i was reading through the stats and everything the thing that just kept sticking out to me was rorschach test because I know several people who are on multiple sides of this QB battle. And basically, if you're a Shuck fan, if you're a Morton fan, there's a different way to look at this game in order to say, like, oh, no, my guy is the starter. Unless you're a Donovan Smith fan, which, again, I think Donovan Smith, that ship has sailed. I, I don't think he looked good yesterday. I don't think, he, like, like you said, Nate, I don't think he fits the system. I very much doubt that he will still be in Lubbock by the time the season starts. I think he is clearly... The QB3, just looking at his stats yesterday, again, only threw seven attempts yesterday. Only three of them were completed, uh, 49 yards. He did get a passing touchdown, which is more than Shuck or Morton can say yesterday. Uh, but 
we Morgan we didn't a, get more got a rushing touchdown though yeah we didn't get to see the passing touchdown because for some reason the broadcast team was cut off at halftime um yeah his passage smith's passing touchdown was in the second half but from what i'm reading it was an underneath like bubble screen that the gotcha. wide receiver took it the rest of the way so it's not like he he you know zipped in a a bb on a post and, and scored a touchdown that way he gotcha. had a he had a he had a lost fumble as well too yeah he just looked he just looked a little misplaced but yeah, no, I agree with you. Shuck having 32 attempts compared to Morton having 13, I think that clearly shows that they want Shuck to be the number one guy, even if he didn't look as good as Morton yesterday. But I think we can all agree at this point, Morton has the higher, highest upside. And it makes sense because I believe he was higher rated than Shuck coming out of high school. Uh, he was like the highest recruit, uh, rated recruit that Texas Tech has ever pulled in. So it makes yep. sense that he probably looks the best on the field. It's just can he put it all together? Um... Uh, yeah, I'm with you. For now, I'm going to keep drafting Shuck, but I'm not as excited about it as I was uh, like a month ago because, again, like I don't think I'm like I'm with you where there's a very real chance that if he just out, doesn't perform well in one or two games, all of a sudden you switch that out, Morton's your guy, and all of a sudden Shuck is worthless. Yeah, I mean, the word is, is that at least that's what they said on the broadcast, that um, Baron Morton was 20 of 24 passing in the scrimmage prior to this uh and we don't we don't know the context of that it could have been against the third string defense for all we know um but i mean it just it just has the feel that they're that they're not going with him because they don't want the other two to transfer it's like they're trying yeah. so hard to keep all three of them on campus and so far it's worked but i just i don't know it seems like a stretch i mean it makes sense like again the day in in the day and age that is the transfer portal, you have to do that. Like it's not like yeah. you, it's not like you uh, can afford not to. Otherwise, let's be real. If they named one of these guys a starter at the beginning of spring, the other two would have transferred out within a week. So, yeah. well, actually, Shuck might have a little bit more difficulty because he has already used his transfer once. So yeah, he, he more... can. No, he can qualify for grad transfer. Oh, he, he can. can move. Okay, he could. Yeah, he can move right away. Got oh that's right because he gra- he graduated in like or he graduated in like three year two three years right like he, he's an insanely yeah. smart guy yeah so nothing else really take away from that again it clearly they want to use their tight ends and I mentioned this on the transfer portal report Baylor Cup is going to Texas Tech now so it's like I'd like to have just one tight end that they're gonna focus in on but it looks like they got three guys that they like there they got Tharp they got Teeter now they got Cup coming in. So, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get one guy out of that system that we can rely on there. Uh, and then, for those of you that are playing in a kicker or a league with kickers, uh, Trey Wolf hit a 56-yard field goal in this game. Uh, so, you know, if you if you're if you want to reach up for a kicker, maybe maybe you can go after him. I don't know. I just kind of wrote that down because it's kind of cool. All right. I thought uh, one one quick note on on that. Um, I thought Tosh Brooks looked great. He, uh, I mean, Sir Roderick Thompson wasn't playing in it. He's he's been a little dinged up, so they held him out. But man, Taj Brooks looked really good. He he's he's the guy that I've been touting as the best running back on that roster, anyways. But he um, uh, he was a big time standout yes in the uh, game yesterday. I would love to see them just constantly pass to him out of the backfield, like mm-hmm. just line him out wide. God, I'd love that. All right. Go ahead and move on to the next game here. From one quarterback battle to another, this time we're going over to Baton Rouge, the LSU Tigers. And my main takeaway here is we've been kind of discussing Miles Brennan, Jaden Daniels, 
Could it be neither? And could we have been looking at the wrong QB this entire time? Uh, and that is because Garrett Nussmeyer really looked like the best quarterback yesterday for LSU yesterday. On the day, he threw 16 times with 9 completions for 136 yards and a touchdown. Miles Brennan wasn't too far behind him. He went uh, 17 attempts with 11 completions uh, for 99 yards and a touchdown. And then, good God, Jaden Daniels. Good Lord. Uh, three for nine yesterday. And I believe it was about 48 yards, maybe a little bit higher than that. Uh, Daniels just really did not look good yesterday. And I think that, which is, again, like there was that talk, there was a tweet we saw the other day where like they were talking about like, oh, Daniels is a tier below them. And then we all kind of raised our eyebrow when Daniels was the first quarterback off the bench to lead an offensive drive. But then by the end of the day, when you saw the stats and everything, it clearly was Daniels is in a tier below uh, Brennan and Nussmeyer. What do you think about all this, Nate? Like when you hear like how these quarterbacks performed yesterday, what like are any of these guys really worth taking? Like are we are we making a mountain out of a molehill here where it's like yeah, we might want to know who the starter at LSU is, but are they even going to be that great of a, a CFF asset by the time the year comes around? What do you think? I'm I'm kind of fading this whole quarterback room right now, to be honest with you. This, this screams like a situation where Brian Kelly, who has a history of doing this, is going to play multiple quarterbacks. He's going to, you know, have the, the, the pocket passer in for most of the plays and then have a variety of packages for the guy that can run, which would be Jaden Daniels. Um, it does not look like right now that Jaden Daniels is going to win this job. Something would have to change drastically, number of transfers, injury, something like that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, with a pocket passer, and whether it's Nussmeyer or it's Miles Brennan, I, that's not the type of quarterback that I want with uh, Den Brock running the offense. Um, and, and then you have the potential of getting – you know, TDs vultured once they get inside the uh, the red zone. Yeah, I mean, this is just a messy quarterback situation. And, uh, you know, I'm probably just going to stay away from it for right now. Yeah, I'm pretty much almost in the same boat as you. Like, I like Miles Brennan, but again, just too many things are going against him right now in terms of just the offensive system they're trying to run. Kayshawn Butte still hasn't returned. And, that's, and that kind of brings me to my other big takeaway from this game is that there's no real clear favorite at wide receiver behind Butte. Like when Butte's out there, he's a guy that just commands targets when he's out there. But like, I was looking for a guy like Malik Neighbors to pop yesterday. I was looking for maybe Jack Beck to pop a little bit, Brian Thomas, all these different guys. And nobody really separated themselves from the pack yesterday. Now that could have been because they were rotating quarterbacks uh, due to different chemistry and stuff like that. But like, none of them really kind of stuck out to me. Anything kind of sticks out to you on that, Nate? No, I... I've only got to watch bits and pieces of this game as okay. well, but, but now it's, again, this is, we're talking about Brian Kelly and Tim Brock. These, these aren't guys that um, produce wide receivers at the same rate of some of the other programs we've talked about with TCU and Texas tech and Ole yeah. Miss and stuff like that. It's just, um, you know, in a deeper league, I'll start to consider some of those guys like neighbors and, um, uh, and Thomas and, and Jenkins and guys like that, but um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm already I'm already fading Butte, and he's really the only the the only wide receiver of interest right now. All right, Nate, we've faded the quarterback room, we faded the wide receiver room. That must mean we might might like some of these running backs, right? Armani Goodwin looked well good yesterday, uh, but again, the news out of camp has been that John Emery has been kind of making a resurgence. There is he somebody? 
that you think you're going to target a little bit more in CFF leagues this year, Nate, or you just kind of off the Emory thing? Uh, it, it's a situation where Kelly and Denbrock have produced some really nice running back um, seasons in the past. So it has my interest. Emory's a little bit of a mess just because of everything that's gone on with him in the past. He has a tough time staying healthy. He has a tough time staying eligible. Uh, so that, that worries me some. And, and supposedly he's already dinged up again right now. So the, the fact that Brian Kelly is openly saying uh, the parts that I did, that I did get, they were interviewing Brian Kelly during the game. He's like, Hey, this is going to be a running back by committee. But when a, when a coach is openly uh, saying that I'm just like, I, okay, I'm good. Then I've, I've, I've seen what I need to see up. and I've heard what I need to hear. Yeah, no, and that's disappointing to me because, again, I heard from uh, somebody who's uh, pretty close to the program. He said, like, oh, if Emory stays healthy, like, he's a guy that could get 60%, 70% of the carries. And I'm like, whoa, that's a very big difference from what, I, what I've what i been hearing. But, again, it sounds like just on what we're seeing and everything, that's just not going to come to fruition, especially since, like you said, Emory's already dinged up again. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an explosive back. I liked him yeah. coming out. And it looks like he's put on some weight, but he still looks good. Um, but man, he's, he's got a lot of, a lot of red flags with him too. True. All righty. Let's go from Baton Rouge all the way over to, I'm actually not going to pretend that I know where Colorado, what city Colorado state is in, but we're at Colorado Fort, Fort state. Collins. Fort, Fort Collins. Collins. I, I, beautiful, I, beautiful yeah, city. I know Boulder is Colorado, but Fort Collins, I've never been, I've never been out to Colorado. It's one of the states I've always wanted to visit. Um, love to visit Denver too. That'd be, that'd be so, so nice. Um, but again, Colorado state, uh, I figure we show some G5 love here because uh, pretty much every other team we have on our list today is a Power 5 program. So let's show a little G5 love here. And the Norvell offense is clicking in Fort Collins. Um, Tori Horton, Melquan Stovall, Clay Millen, all these guys that came over from Nevada, followed Norvell over there. Looks like they're going to pick up right where they left off. And the other takeaway really here for me and it's kind of a sad face for me because I was hyping him up just like three weeks ago, but it looks like Dante Wright is fading into the second team here. Melquan Stovall, it looks like, is set to be the starting slot receiver for this Norvell offense going into the season. Dante Wright is also a slot receiver, so unless he likes, he wants to move outside to the um, opposite of Torrey Horton, it looks like Dante Wright is definitely going to be limited on snaps and potential there which is, again, a little sad because, again, he's a very talented wide receiver, but it sounds like uh, Norvell is going to go with the guys that know his system even better. And Stovall had some great catches and a touchdown yesterday. Torrey Horton also had some incredible catches. Again, Clay Millen looked legit. Like, he looked like the heir apparent to the Carson strong uh, system. I think we're absolutely going to love having these guys on our team. The other thing that... Uh, I noted was that again, David Bailey was the starting running back for Colorado State last year. It looks like he is probably fading right now to guys like Vivens, who I believe um, there is a article that came out right after this about what the starting lineup could look like. They said that David Bailey is probably uh, RB3 right now. Yeah. So, what do you think about all this, Nate? Uh, any kind of takeaways you can take from here? Obviously, there's no real game to watch here because this is mostly on hearsay for this game. Right. Uh, but what do, what do you think? Well, the, the Bailey stuff is really concerning. Uh, he was somebody that I had started to come around on a little bit and, and had been questioning 
why I hadn't been taking him in some of our best balls. So uh, now I'm questioning that. So let me see if I can pull up that article real quick. You keep talking. Yeah, I, I, I would be a decent fit because he actually, he's got soft hands. He catches the ball fairly well out of the backfield. So I thought maybe that would be a fit for him. He's a big guy. They like to run the, uh, the kind of the, 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 the bigger, thicker running backs around the goal line to, to kind of punch in some of those touchdowns. So I thought maybe he could be that guy. So here's, here's the article. So they have listed at, at running back, the top two are uh, A. John Vivens and Avery Morrow. And this is their notes. Vivens, a former receiver, could thrive in this offense, and Morrow has experience from his time at Nevada. They're the clear top two. David Bailey could play a backup, play a role as a backup if he returns in the fall. Hmm. This well, is that's... from the Coloradoan. Yeah. What, what's the date on that? Does it say? Uh, this is April 23rd. Okay, wow. <laughs> so this is literally uh, came out yesterday. If he returns in the fall, somebody's telling, some, somebody has put a bug in their ear that David Bailey will not be there next fall. That's, that's what that tells me. So that's really interesting. Um, as far as the rest of the offense is concerned, I mean, yeah, this is, a, this is the air raid in its truest form. This is how Mummy's kid is, is running. The, the, the inventor of the air raid, his son, is running this offense. So, yes. Uh, very interested in it from a passing perspective. Clay Millen, it's good to see uh, now that he's getting live reps that he's everything we thought he could be. Um, yeah. I, I like that a lot. He's somebody to to definitely target. Uh, he's He's got good value um, from where he's been going in some of the drafts that oh, I've yeah. seen. Uh, you know, I mean, this, some of the, the Dante Wright stuff concerns me a little bit, but I do think it's an offense that can support multiple wide receivers. So I don't, I, I'm not totally out on him. Um, he's definitely Snowball's, dropping quite a bit for me. Yeah, I mean, I, that's fair. And Stovall's a guy that I know the staff is really like. They think he's got some really good potential. But um, I don't have a problem with rostering um, with rostering either one of them as well as Horton. I, I think that there's potential for uh, – and I, I think this is the type of staff that realizes where their weapons are and will get their weapons on the field. So this isn't a situation where I don't trust the staff to uh, make the right kind of decisions. I, I think they'll – I think there'll be times where you'll see uh, a lot of snaps with all three of those wide receivers on the field at the same time. Yeah, you're probably right. And um, again, you were coming around on David Bailey, but let's talk about Ajon Vivens, who is listed currently by this article as the number one running back. You're talking about a former receiver turned running back. Does that interest you at all? Again, as, uh, as a piece of this offense, especially a receiving threat out of the backfield? Uh, a little bit. I, he, he's somebody that played well, um, at times last year. So a, a little, a little bit, but uh, I'm more definitely more interested in the passing game here. Oh yeah. All righty. Let's move on from Fort Collins. Let's go over to Los Angeles. Nate, you take the lead on this one. I think I've taken the lead on, no, you took the lead on Texas tech. Um, yeah, you take the lead on this one. We're talking about the USC spring game here, and the main takeaway you had me write down was the Williams to Williams connection. What are what are the overall takeaways from this game? It did not take long for Caleb Williams and Mario Williams to uh, link up here. They threw Williams to Williams was uh, the first, I believe, the first two passing touchdowns uh, on the day. Um, Caleb looked super smooth. I think he was. I don't know. He was nine for nine in the first half or something like that. It was um, he clearly he's somebody that is very familiar with this offense um, as he should be. 
Uh, Mario Williams looked to be his favorite target there. Man, they have one thing that stood out. There's just so many wide receiver options there. And Gary Bryant wasn't even playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just clear how, how comfortable Caleb looked in this offense. It was clear how terrible the defense is at USC. Um, that was kind of what I expected. And, and the reason why I have Caleb is my, my QB one, because I just, I think every game's going to be a shootout for SC. I don't think they're going to be able to stop a cold. I mean, they're going to, they're going to have to score close to 50 points in majority of their games to come away with the win. So, um, and they have the offensive firepower to do that. So a couple of wide receivers kind of stood out outside of Mario Williams. I thought, um, Bynum, Terrell Bynum, Bynum, the transfer from Washington looked solid. Yep. And uh, where Hudson kind of stood out. They had him going on end rounds, had him underneath stuff, over the top. Um, I was surprised to see just how much they were kind of um, targeting him in some of the, the scrimmage there. Yeah. And so, like, obviously, you mentioned uh, Gary Bryant was out. And so the thing that I wrote down was who they had come out as their starting three wide receivers. And that was the aforementioned Mario Williams, the aforementioned Terrell Bynum. They also had Kyle Ford out there, which to me is interesting because, again, when Gary Bryant comes back, I imagine Bryant probably takes over again as one of the starters. And I imagine that puts Kyle Ford back into the second. I think he's a transfer candidate because, again, this wide receiver room is filled with guys who have already transferred. They like as soon as they see they're not the starting wide receiver, they're like, they don't have a choice. They kind of have to stick with it. Kyle Ford is not one of those guys. I think he is a guy that can realize like, all right, if I'm like, I'm left over from the previous administration, I need to go probably find a new spot because I'm not going to break into this starting three, especially if those starting three are Mario Williams, Terrell Bynum, and for um, the Gary Bryant when he comes back. So I think he could probably um, be somebody to keep your eye out on for. Taj Washington, I can't remember they said if he was injured in this game or not, because him also not being, um, like, put He played. He played? That's, that's even more concerning for me then, because, like, again, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that. Like, he's now stuck in the second year, the second tier of these wide receivers. So unless he is sitting there with a grad, grad transfer in his back pocket, like, he's another guy that I kind of feel bad for, but he's got to be faded, compared, mm-hmm. even though he did pretty well last year. Um. The other thing is here for me is the running back situation. Travis Dye got running back one carries, which is great. But also Austin Jones got plenty of carries. Darwin Barlow got plenty of carries. I think this is going to be a running back by committee. We've seen Lane, Kiff, or Lane Kiffin, my God. Lincoln Riley kind of go with the committee approach in the, in the past. Um, obviously, Dye has a receiving ability that kind of separates him from the other two and everything. But like... I currently think, let me see if I can pull up the ADP real quick. Like, where is Travis Dye being taken right now? Because I, like, I remember seeing him go in drafts right now, and I think it's just going too early. Yeah, he's taking, being taken as a running back 32 right now, right ahead of Donovan Edwards, right behind Carson Steele. I'd rather have either of those guys. Marquez Cooper's going behind him. Jairo Brock's going behind him. I'd have both of those guys. I don't think he's going to be quite the value that people want him to be. Outside of the fact that, like you mentioned, USC is going to have to put up a ton of points. So his touchdown opportunities are probably going to be through the roof when it comes to that. What do you kind of think about that situation? I came away from the spring game thinking Travis Dye was the clear best running back out of that group. Um, I think they're, like you mentioned, there's the other two looked fine. 
Um, Austin Jones, I think, actually had like 2.9 yards per carry. I'm amazed that guy, his whole career, I've never seen a guy get so many carries and average like three yards a carry. I'm like, when are we going to give up? When he are we going to decide three that this? Car, three yards in a cloud of dust. Yeah, amazing. I, I looked at the stat sheet. I'm like, yep, there he is. 2.9 yards <laughs> per carry. That sounds about right. Um, no, I, I I do think Travis Dye is, is somebody um, that I, I think he looked good. I think he fits the system. Um, Darwin Barlow is probably the one that, um, the other guy that kind of stood out a little bit, but like I said, this situation, Lincoln went out and got his guy and that guy was Travis Dye. So I he think he also went gonna, out and got Austin Jones. He did. He did. But I don't think Austin Jones is any good. So, um, True. I, I, <laughs> I think, I think Dye is probably the guy to target. I, I think that ADP that you mentioned, um, would you say like 32, something like that? Yeah. Um, RB 32. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, I've seen some drafts where he's gone way higher, um, but yeah, that's thirty two is probably probably fair in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly just because again, I look at some now. Granted, some of the guys that are going ahead of him, I probably would take behind him. Like uh, Nicholas Singleton's going ahead of him in ADP right now, and I'm just like, I love Nicholas Singleton, but in redraft, no need to take him that high. Uh, there's yeah, there's a legit chance Travis Dye um, could get could get, you know, 30 catches, 400 yards receiving out of the backfield yeah. and a few touchdowns. I think his, his receiving prowess is enough to um, to be able to sustain that floor yeah. that you want. So, yeah, uh, anything else I have written down here? Uh, Miller Moss looked all right, uh, pretty good yesterday. He got actually more run than Caleb Williams did because, again, I think they really want – because they – no, Caleb Williams is going to be the guy. There's no pretending that there's a quarterback competition. Um, but Mill Moss went 15 for 20 yesterday, 169 yards and a touchdown. I know the last thing Riley would want is for Miller Moss to transfer out, but do you think there's a possibility of that, Nate? I think there's a possibility because the, the writing is kind of on the wall for him. If he wants mm-hmm. to be a starter, um, it ain't going to happen at USC. Yeah. So I, th- I think there was a possibility. I will say that Riley will do, you will hear nothing, but this is a competition from Riley all the way until week one. Oh, yeah. um, he cannot afford That's for, awesome. to have, to, to have a walk on basically playing behind Caleb Williams. Um, so yeah, he he has to have Moss stay. In, in fact, I would be, I would be surprised if USC didn't add um, a QB from the portal. Yeah, uh, between now and and fall camp, even if it's just some some grad transfer that knows that he's not going to be the starter, uh, just a guy to to be a live body back there. True. In in case Moss moves on. Yeah, I was to say if, if Moss is gone, then they definitely will be targeting a QB out of the portal to back up Williams. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one here. Uh, going from USC all the way over to Norman, Oklahoma. Nate, these, these are your your people over here. Uh, which, by the way, shout out to Oklahoma fans for packing out the Palace on the Prairie yesterday. Uh, I think it's y'all have the record now for the most in a spring game for this year. I think it's like 67,000 or something like that. 75. 75. What did I say? 67. My God. No. Yeah. It was in the 70s. 75,000 people there yesterday. Absolutely packed out the stadium for this. Um, what are your, what were your overall takeaways from this game, Nate? Well, you got it. You got it up there on the, uh, um, you know, Oklahoma will be top three in plays per game on the graphic here. 
I was blown away at how much of just kind of a, a breakneck pace that Levy had this offense going at. I knew that they would be fast. And, and obviously, if you've watched any of Ole Miss the last two years, who's finished in the top five in place per game the last two years, you knew that they were going to run at a fast pace. But I thought maybe it would take a little bit before they could get it going at that warp speed, and it did not. I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't write down a note in between plays when I was watching this game because Gabriel was taking the next snap. Um, so they were moving really, really fast. That's exciting. Um, it means that they're going to have enough plays to where, um, you know, multiple wide receivers, potentially multiple running backs can at least be relevant. Um, so that was good. Gabriel looks to be very, very comfortable in this offense. He's worked with Levy before it shows, um, he looks super smooth. The top three wide receivers are set in stone at this point. It's Mims. It's Theo Weiss and it's Jalil Farouk. Um, I will say that the the true freshman, six foot six, hundred ninety pound, um, Jalen Gibson showed out. He he had over hundred yards. Uh, of course, ninety five of that came on one play. He had a ninety five yard touchdown catch. So um, he shook off kind of some early rust and 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 looked pretty good. Some early nerves and, and looked pretty solid. So I think those were kind of the the main standouts, other than. All of the hype that I've been hearing about Javante Barnes this preseason and in camp this spring is probably warranted. He looked he looked pretty legit. Um, he had a couple of touchdowns, uh, driving the pile on a couple of short touchdown runs, and um, I mean he looked pretty explosive coming out of the backfield there. So it was it was fun to see him play. Marcus Major was hurt. He did not play in this game. So and they. I mean, they maybe ran Eric Gray for a series or two and then moved on. So we got to see a lot of Javante Barnes. Yeah, and I you you mentioned this um, in our Slack and everything. My immediate question for you is, like, is this – because, again, we've talked about it on this show before that Jeff Levy has a massive propen- propensity to run and running back by committee approach, even when he was at Ole Miss and he had guys like Jerry Ely, Snoop Connor, and Henry Parrish – uh, even throwing in Macarell rushing in there, like they split the carries between all of those guys, all, all of them extremely talented. Is Barnes the kind of guy that could break that mold? And you responded to me, don't expect that in year one, but I think it's interesting that you didn't just totally shut that down. Why do you think that is uh, a possibility here? I think the main thing is, is, not will he become the RB one and just kind of take over and, and, and prevent a committee from happening. I still think a committee is going to happen. I just thought he would be the distant running back three. Yeah. We always compare. I like to compare to what Ole Miss had last year with Jerry on Ely, Snoop Connor and Henry Parrish. And I just assumed he would be that Henry Parrish role. Um, I, I think there's a chance he's going to be just as close to having the most carries uh, as there is Eric Gray, Marcus Major, that type of situation. He's he's proven that he can pick up blitzes. He can catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield. He's just a, a more well, well-rounded well back. And um, I don't think that's going to change the running back committee situation year one. But, I mean, there's there's potential for that in, in year two or three that he could be, you know, maybe he pushes 200 carries, something like that. Oh. God, I would love that. I would love the offense. Um, and then I kind of hinted at it with uh, Corral, where he was one of the top three 
carriers uh, for the Ole Miss offense last year. Do you think Gabriel will be one of these guys, or Gabriel will be kind of set up to be in a similar position as him, or do you think it's going to mostly be stuck with the running backs? I do, I do not. So the drop-off between QB1 and QB2 at Oklahoma right now is enormous. And I think they know that. I think they're going to protect Gabriel at all costs. Um, it'll be kind of a Baker Mayfield situation where he is just going to, to run to buy time to then throw the ball. Um, I, I do not see him getting a hundred plus carries like Matt Corral got last year. I think he's probably more in that maybe 50 carries is kind of his max. He's got that upside if he needs it, but more than likely they're, they're going to keep him out of harm's way. They know that there's a huge drop off after if he were to go down. Yeah, I think they kind of learned that lesson last year with uh, Corral and the Tennessee game because he was just never the same after that Tennessee game. And even Altmaier, uh, when he finally got his start, again, there's just a clear difference between Corral and Altmaier by that point. So yeah, I think I think Levy's learned his lesson there. He's probably going to keep Gabriel a little bit safer. And like, let's be real, based on what we saw yesterday, Gabriel's going to get plenty of action through the air with his arm uh, with Marvin Mims, Farouk, and Theo Weiss. He's going to be just fine as a fantasy asset. Let's go ahead and move on here. Go from the plains of Norman, Oklahoma, going all the way up to Eugene, Oregon. And my main takeaway here is, is the Ty Thompson hype finished? Like, I think for the longest time, we've been kind of hoping that he would be the guy to finally take that step in Oregon this year. Uh, He couldn't really pull it off last year when they absolutely refused to bench Anthony Brown. um, And they never really gave him any run. We were hoping that he would be able to beat out with Anthony Brown going off. He would become the guy. Then Bo Nix comes in. We're like, oh, well, Bo Nix isn't that great. So maybe Ty Thompson could just beat him out. And then we had a glimmer of hope when we heard that he was running with the ones at one point at a media day. And then it went back to he was a third string. And then we come to the spring game. Bo Nix has a pretty good day. Eight for 15, 230 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Butterfield also had a pretty good day, throwing about um, 215 yards uh, through the air and an interception. Thompson had a rough day, uh, 12 for 27, only 168 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Now, granted, one of them wasn't entirely his fault. I think it was more on the receiver than him. Uh, but even so, like Thompson very much finished with the third best stats of the day out of all the quarterbacks. What do you kind of take away from that, Nate? Are, are we? Are, do we just need to kind of put the, uh, the Ty Thompson hype uh, to bed here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're if if you're thinking that he's going to start this year, you are you're sadly mistaken. I, I just don't think that that's the reality. I haven't thought that's going to be the reality ever since they went and got Bo Nix like a day after Kenny Dillingham was hired there. So, mm. um, I think the bigger question is, does he transfer or does he stay? Uh, because if he transfers, then then his his value can rebound depending on the landing spot. Uh, if he stays, if he stays there, then then he's just going to to waste away this year. It appears. Yeah. The other main takeaway I kind of had with this and everything was that uh, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, two highly rated wide receivers that uh, came to Eugene, looks like that they have finally kind of made that next step, and it looks like they're going to be the main wide receiver duo for Oregon this year. Are you interested at all in either of those two, Nate? Uh, given that Bo Nix is the quarterback. Or do you think that we kind of get more of the same from, I mean, again, you got Kenny Dillingham running the offense here. 
Do either of those guys kind of stick out to you as a somebody you might target late in a draft or something like that? Not really. Okay. No, I uh, uh, and I think Seven McGee could probably be thrown in with that too. He's he's performed really well since moving over to the slot. Um, C2C and Debbie guys can get really hyped for uh, for Thornton and Franklin, and 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 I understand that because they got a lot of a lot of upside. Um, I think we've seen enough of Kenny Dillingham uh, to know that uh, he, he just rarely produces a, a high-end wide receiver for CFF production. So I'm not going to take away from this spring game that all of a sudden I'm on board with with what they've got at wide receivers. I'll, you know, I'll keep an eye on it. And I don't late in drafts. I don't have a problem with taking a flyer on one of those guys, all three of them. You know, but no, I'm not. I'm not going to be actively targeting any of them. Yeah, one more thing I'll kind of throw in here was that, again, Byron Carwell did not play in this game, uh, held out due to injury, but Noah Whittingham looked pretty good when he was uh, given some run in this game. Um, I Again, obviously, I think Carwell is still going to be the guy, but, again, we are all kind of hoping that he would be the guy, like as in like getting 50, 60-plus percentage of the carries. Are we a little worried now that Whittingham is going to cut a little bit too much into that? What do you think, Nate? No, I'm, I'm still pretty high on Byron Cardwell. Um, the fact that they held him out of this game and and he's been practicing just tells me it's kind of like that. Um, it's kind of like that Zach Evans scenario that they they know he's the guy and let's let's not let's let's not ruin him in a spring game against his own team. So yeah, I, I I don't really have a, a a big problem with it. I've I've seen enough from Whittingham to know that he's um, or Whittington to Whitting Whittingham. Winning, Winnington. <laughs> Either way, he's not Byron Cardwell. I, 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 th- th- this doesn't affect the Cardwell stock for me that much. Okay. Again, I was just kind of throwing it out there because I'm sure some people would have that question. Uh, again, it didn't really affect Byron Cardwell too much for me either. Uh, final takeaway from this game is that uh, Oregon, your uniforms are ugly enough when I only have to see one of them on the field. Uh, it's, it's twice as ugly when I have to see two of them on the field at the same time. So. Okay, moving on, we got the Washington spring game. And here, my main takeaway is that Cameron Ward is the real deal. Uh, They are very much interested in him being the starter. There is no competition for him there whatsoever. And he had a great day yesterday, throwing uh, 28 times, 20 completions. Uh, He had 249 yards to the air and four touchdowns. So it's very clear they're going to rely on him whenever they get down there near the red zone. So that's settled. Cameron Board is the guy. To me, the bigger question now is like we have we are not settled about who his main wide receivers are going to be really. Me and Chris have been pretty high on Dejon Stribling for the most part this year, but there's been a very steady drumbeat for Lincoln Victor throughout all the spring. And then now here in the spring game, he had six receptions, 95 yards, two touchdowns. And you had a couple other receivers that are kind of making some flashy plays. Uh, Dylan Payne had three receptions for 60 yards. Uh, Cannon Katzer had four for 47. He was spreading the ball around quite a bit. Nate, are we concerned here at all about the possibility that every week will be a guessing game in this offense as to who's going to be the main target? Or is, are we? do you think there will be kind of a settled out where it's going to be guys like Stripling and Victor will be the main guys? I still give an edge to Stribling, but I think that maybe I um, maybe I overvalued him a little bit um, with with where I had him ranked initially. It does appear that they're going to spread the ball around a little bit. 
you know, Victor shown out well. Uh, Ollie's had some good, um, some good spring scrimmages as well. I mean, we haven't even seen Renard Bell yet, who's put up some really big numbers uh, out of the slot um, for them the last couple of years. So uh, I would think he's a little bit concerning. I, I, he was a guy that I would maybe have pegged for the wide receiver too there. And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of fading that right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just think overall, um, I think we're going to, I do think this is an offense that by the first couple games of the season, we'll be able to see exactly how it's going to play out and it'll, they'll kind of stick with that yeah. role. It's just going to be hard to tell. It's kind of a guessing game until we get to week one, what it's, what it's going to exactly look like. So basically what we're saying here is if you want to guarantee out of this offense, just draft Cameron Ward and then figure out who his main wide receiver is later. Yeah, he's looking good. All right. Let's go ahead and hit up this last game here. We got the Texas Longhorns. And for the Chiron here, we got Quinn Ewers shows off his ceiling. And he also shows off his floor. So, Nate, what do we kind of mean by that? Uh, And what do you think were the other main takeaways of the Texas spring game here? Yeah, we get to see just how prolific he could be in this offense. He threw a bomb to... Uh, Nair, who we've mentioned a couple times earlier, he threw uh, a really, really big time dart over the middle on a post route from uh, or to uh, Xavier Worthy for a touchdown. We got to see his arm talent on full display. Now, he also made some mistakes. Uh, There's no doubt. I mean, this is a guy that took zero snaps last year uh, and was injured for a portion of his junior season in high school. So he's, he hasn't had a ton of run. This is a guy that's supposed to be in high school right now, graduating. Yeah, here he is in, in year two in college. So, um, but I think it's I think it's pretty much just coach speak at this point um, that card is in the mix. It's kind of the same scenario that Lincoln Riley has. There's You don't want to lose that backup quarterback. Um, but he, I would say Quinn Ewers unlocks so much more for this offense um, as far as his, his ability to push the ball downfield, it's going to open up more for Bijan and the rest of that run game. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, he just provides such a higher ceiling for Texas and they're going to need it, man. That defense is oh God, God awful. They're going similar to USC. They're going to need to score 50 points. They're not going to be able to stop anybody. Yeah, no, I don't have too much to add here when it comes to Texas. Um, again, loved, loved to see. I, I, I've been too low on Isaiah Nayor. I, like, a lot of people have been ranking them, him inside their top 40, and I've been saying, like, y'all, like, it's very rare for an offense to put up two top 40 wide receivers, and I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves when it comes to Nayor, but again, He's just proven me wrong time and time again. And in this spring game, he at times looked like the best wide receiver on the field. And clearly the guy that they're going to go to deep um, if they don't have Xavier Worthy open. So I think both of those guys are probably going to be finishing in the top 50 wide receivers if this offense goes as well as we hope it goes this year. Um, Anything else? Uh, Jatavion Sanders, again, he looks like the tight end option for this offense. Uh, Again, we can completely fade Julio Billingsley out of here. I don't think he's going to be... I, I don't think this is the fresh start that really people are kind of looking for with him. If you're going to want to get a Texas tight end, get Jatavion Sanders. Uh, we didn't see Bijan in this game. They held him out because why would you risk Bijan in this game? We got to see 
run from some of the other running backs. Keelan Robinson out of Alabama, another Alabama, former Alabama player playing for Texas. Um, we saw Roshan Johnson get some more carries. Got uh, Jadon Blue got a few carries, but not nearly as much as I would have liked. Um, I guess we could talk about that just a little bit here, Nate. Like, obviously, Bijan is the guy, but he's off to the NFL this upcoming year unless something just goes horribly wrong for him. Do you? Th- which of those next three running backs do you see taking take that next step to be the RB one for Texas next year? Go a little dynasty talk here. That's a really good question uh, because I watched that game and I, I yesterday and I came away saying, man. How deep is Texas at running back? This is crazy because Roshan Johnson looked really good at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen him perform really well in the past. Uh, and Robinson was one of the standouts of the of the spring scrimmage. And I thought Jonathan Brooks made some really nice plays yep. at time last year. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, gosh, Jadon Blue is like one of my favorite running backs to come out of this class. And and man, he's he's buried in the depth yep. chart right here. So uh, I'm trying to look. What what does Johnson have? Does he have any eligibility left after this year? Let me. What's his situation? Let me go to uh, Nick's handy dandy spreadsheets. Let's see here. Up. Gosh, he does. He's he's listed as a sophomore last year. He has another year left after this. That is crazy. Um. So I guess I I guess he's likely to be the RB one. That is that is. Um, very concerning if you're a if you're a blue truther um, to know that there's potential that that Rojo could be back next year, um, and then you've got to go through Robinson and Brooks as well too. Robinson's more of kind of a gadget guy, so I don't think he's yeah. ever going to be that RB one type. Um, but Brooks is solid too. But yeah, that's man. They have um, they have a lot of really good running back options there. Yeah, I just confirmed it on Nick's spreadsheet. Johnson does have two years of eligibility Yeah. after this year. Keelan has two years of eligibility. Brooks has four years of eligibility. It's a yeah, mess. I'm, so, somebody will transfer out, I'm sure, in the offseason oh, yeah, sure. next year. But um, but that's a lot of guys that Blue's got to hop to get there. Um, I think he's a really impressive player. But, but he's man, got this, this, this staff loves Johnson. They had no problem feeding him a lot of uh, a lot of carries whenever uh, Bijan was out. Some yeah, it struck me that they said, like the announcer said during the game that Roshan was like one of the clear captains of the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they, they again, love him there. Clearly, they are very very high on him and trust him a ton. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was the guy next year, especially with his receiving ability. So I do believe that brings us to the end of our show for the most part. Again. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Oh, I should probably go over the uh, schools that will have spring games this upcoming week. Things are finally slowing down on the spring game front. Uh, we got Maryland next week, Buffalo, Minnesota, Fresno State, Washington, uh, Akron, uh, Wyoming, and California in terms of G5 and Power 5 schools. If you want to throw UMass in there, if you're a psychopath, uh, you can watch that game as well. Any of those games that stick out to you, Nate, is like something you would consider must-watch next week for those who are interested in college fantasy? Mm, I think Washington's a little intriguing. Um, the word is is that Penix is the QB one there, so I kind of want to see it with my own eyes. Um, and then just kind of how uh, they target, how Penix targets those wide receivers in that room. Um, 
Buffalo, I'm going to, I mean, we're not going to be able to watch that game, but I'm definitely going to be kind of scouring Twitter to see, okay, who's, who's the guy that comes off as potentially the RB one there because McDuffie moving on, um, are they, are they going to feature a particular running back like they have in the past? So that that's kind of interesting. Um, in terms of other ones, I'm looking for Fresno State. I'm interested to see what the offense looks like with uh, DeBoer moving on, then bringing uh, Tedford back in. Akron, uh, who's RB1 there? Because you got Cam Wiley, you got Jones L. Norrells. Uh, either one of those guys stick out there. That'd be nice to see. And then anything else really here? Again, Maryland, I'd like to see how that wide receiver room starting to shake out a little bit. Again, Raheem Jarrett's probably the guy, but like Jacob Copeland. How does Dante Demas look if he plays at all? Um, and again, if I want to be a psychopath, I'll watch Wyoming because they have like nothing left there. Hmm. So, yeah, Wyoming's like the New Mexico of this year, where it's like last year with New Mexico, you didn't own anybody on New Mexico, and I think Wyoming's going to be just as bad. Yep. So, it is yeah. that. It's a dumpster. Absolute dumpster fire. Yeah, now that brings us to the end of our show. Again, Nate, really appreciate you coming on here. Appreciate everybody listening out there. Um, again, going forward with spring games, kind of wrapping up a little bit. Uh, we're going to spend less time on spring games next week. Uh, again, this next week in the transfer portal is going to be massive because, again, you have that May 1st deadline that players have to be in the transfer portal by in order to get that immediate year of eligibility without the paperwork. Uh, and so that's probably what we're going to focus on the most, I imagine, next week. If things are slower than I'm expecting, I'll probably fit in at least one more segment. And then after that, we'll finally or we'll get back to where we kind of were before spring games, where it's just a different topic every single week, depending on what the news is bringing us, between, depending on what you guys want to hear from. So again, if you are listening to this and you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment right down there below. Let me know what you want to hear once things in the spring games kind of calm down. If you'd rather just reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can just talk to me there. If you want to talk to Nate, he is at CFF Nate on Twitter. So make sure you reach out to him. He's a friendly guy. He doesn't bite hard. Um, and so, yeah, pretty much brings us to our end of our show. Check out all the other content here at Campus Can't and be on the lookout for all the awesome stuff we have been bringing to you guys for CFF this upcoming year. Yeah. Y'all have a wonderful and blessed day. And before I leave, I just almost realized, Nate, is there anything that you are working on right now that you want to tell the people about? Expect the uh, the post-spring uh, stock up, stock down report to come out in the next, I would say probably the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm working on it now. We're coming towards the end of spring camp. So um, I'll wait until after the May 1st deadline with some of these transfers. But uh, yeah, I would, ex I would say expect it maybe after the first week in May. All right. And again, if you haven't been seeing it on the Campus Camp website, I've been writing the transfer portal report. I've been trying to get it out every week again between it and grad school and everything like that. I haven't been able to keep the timeline that I wanted to, but I'm trying to get back to every week. I'll be putting out that report, make it easy on you guys to keep up with the craziness that is the transfer portal, where players are going. Uh, so you never get into one of those conversations where all of a sudden you're asking like, is Jared Mangum at uh, BYU? No, uh, Jared Mangum is not at BYU. Uh, if you read my transfer portal report, you probably would know that he has been at uh, South Florida for a very long time. Anyway, appreciate y'all tuning in and we will definitely see you guys next time. Have a wonderful and blessed day.